Episode 14, The Haunting of Bleecker Street. Don't talk, just listen. And 
appetites. The neighbors had gone, first in fits and starts, and then in a rush of terror, after the kaiju wandered out of the wasteland and took a casual stroll through the city that had leveled large parts of the metropolis. Some had gone into the man McRae's embrace. Others had taken up shelters in various collectives throughout the city, most recently at the St. Peter's Hospital. Others simply began to wander and never stopped. Bleecker Street emptied out. That was fine by George Montrose. He appreciated quiet. He enjoyed isolation. When he was younger, he had been susceptible to social pressures and tried his hand at marriage and at maintaining a group of friends. Neither took. Bleecker Street grew overgrown with strange discolored weeds. Vines with thorns like iron barbs grew along the outside of houses. Paints faded and cracked. Roofs caved in and porches sagged. But there were a hundred places in the city beneath the black sun equally as dire as this. So why was Bleecker Street the place singled out as being a bad place? Well, you see, once there was a girl named Rose. She told a story. And with that story, George Montrose was damned. Trying to pin down the origin of any story is a madness akin to trying to bottle the wind. Stories move, they grow, they change. Stories have as much to do with who is doing the telling as they do with what is being told. So forgive the girl known only as Rose. She did not know what she did. Rose's group was of the kind that wandered and never stopped. They collected, they traded, they survived. They were known to most and trusted by many. Rose had no surviving parent, but she was looked after by an old widow named Mrs. Dunwoody. Mrs. Dunwoody had a belt filled with carving knives and skin tough as old leather. When the group put down to make a fire and eat their lunch on one unassuming day, Rose told the widow that she felt like taking a long walk along some of the surrounding neighborhoods. Mrs. Dunwoody handed Rose one of her knives and advised the girl not to be gone much longer than an hour, for the group would most likely be moving soon. And be careful, the widow added. That's Bleecker Street. It's haunted. Everyone knows that. Now, why did the widow Dunwoody say such a thing? Had she indeed heard some rumblings, some whispers, to suggest that there was something amiss about that street? 
or was she just trying to ensure a degree of caution from her young ward by giving her a reason to stay on guard? Or was it simply an innocuous, tossed off line, the closest that Mrs. Dunwoody could get to a joke? We can never know. But what we do know is that everything that happened after stemmed from that one comment. It's haunted. Everyone knows that. Five words. That was all it took. Now, Rose had been all over and across the city beneath the black sun, but she somehow had never yet strayed across Bleecker Street. As she walked down the street, yellow street lines cracked and faded. Rose's young mind began filling in the shadow corners with monsters and ghouls, each one fouler and hungrier than the last. She could picture with perfect clarity some skinless wretch lurching out of a doorway to come staggering over her, or some massive, winged demon erupting from one of the sundered roofs. That wouldn't be so bad, she thought, because I'll have my sword. The knife seemed to glow in her hand as she drew and brandished it. Mrs. Dunwoody had taken to reading Rose chapters of The Princess Bride before bed each night, and now Rose parried and thrust her way through a horde of endlessly respawning henchmen. It bothered her that none of the swords in The Princess Bride had a really A1 badass name, like Sting or Excalibur. But she got some use out of it anyway, imagining a dashing man in a black costume and mask tumbling out of a doorway to cross blades with her. But aha, the henchmen were advancing their efforts, and soon she and Man in Black stood back to back, left with no choice but to join their efforts and beat back the tide. She swung and and saw something move from out of the corner of her eye. Rose stopped. The game evaporated. Now the knife seemed a pitiful thing. No more use than a butter knife against the back of a great white shark when its bloodlust is up. What a terrible thing. What a horror to realize at once just how small a thing you are, how easily broken. Rose stood rooted to her spot on the pavement, afraid that any motion might trigger the attack that her nerves were convinced was imminent. Finally, she could take the strain of stillness no longer and began to move her feet left foot, right foot. They were taking her towards the house where she thought she had seen the movement come from. If she could just prove to herself that it had all been a simple trick of her mind, then she could laugh off her foolishness and retrieve back a small portion of her power. Left foot, right. The wooden stairs sagged under her feet, as did the wood of the porch. The porch seemed to rose to stretch for a mile. When the cold wood grain of the door 
met her hand, it came as a surprise. She could not quite see through the glass, given that it was just above her head and glazed over with dirt and grime. Rose went up on tiptoe. A pale, cruel face lunged into view, the face screaming its naked fury right at her. Rose fell flat on her back. She scrambled to get up, to get away. The porch sagged under her again, and she had the mental image of a thousand tiny hands tearing up through the thin boards to grab her and drag her down. She heard the screech of the door that swung open, and it put fresh fire to her heels. George Montrose cackled as he watched the child flee in tears. Serve the little bitch, right? Probably, <laughs> probably already whoring things up. And her girl so young. Repulsive. He went back into the house, not realizing that he would never truly leave it ever again. Not realizing what was about to be done to him. Not realizing what he had just done to himself. Stories have power. Stories move and grow and change. Stories can do as much damage to their subjects as their audience. Rose told the story. In her story, a pale-faced phantom dwelled within a house on Bleecker Street, a wraith that screamed its agony at you through a hideous maw. Rose's group was of the kind that wandered and never stopped. They collected, they traded, and they told stories. They were known to most and listened to by all. Everywhere that Rose went, she told that story. It carried from the bowels of the sewers up to the halls of St. Peter's Hospital, up to the rooftops where the avian tribe built their roost. The story passed to sentries keeping lookout in their bunkers at the four corners of the city, and through them it passed into the keep of the man, the Grey. The story had many versions but the essential remained the same. There was a house on Bleecker Street, and in that house, a ghost. George Montrose knew none of these stories, and so it came as a surprise to him when his hand passed through a wall. It happened very suddenly, just as sudden and quick as our description of it. Prior to that, the only sign that something was amiss for old George was a sudden and inescapable chill. Ever since he had chased that little whore away, it had been the damnedest thing. No matter how warm the day, no matter how many layers he donned, 
he could not shake the pervasive cold that ran all along his body. But that was nothing, really. He shrugged it off. I mean, come on, right? He'd been sick before. Just let it run its course, and soon he'd be right as rain. When his hand went through the wall, though, that was harder to dismiss. He stared, eyes so wide they looked likely to fall from his skull as he drew his hand out of the wall. It didn't feel sticky. It didn't feel cold. It felt like nothing. Like there was no wall. Like there was no hand. Like hand and surface were alike in being made of the same lie. The part of George Montrose that still understood the social nature of the human species knew he needed to run for help. He went to the door and made to put his hand on the handle. Flesh slid through metal. George Montrose tried again with the same result. He tried the other hand but it made no difference. He tried to pass through the door itself, but the wood would not yield to him. He went to a window, but the window would not release him. He raced from one end of the house to the other, desperate for some, any kind of escape. The house was closed. It would not open. I have to leave, he thought. Why should I leave, came the next. The house was his, and his alone. It had something to do with the girl, he decided. The little bitch. He was sure of it. She had done something, triggered something, trapped him imprisoned him, done something to him that he could not even begin to articulate. His love for the house mingled with a new hatred and a fresh fear, the strange brew curling in his gut the longer he brooded on this strange fate. Cold and angry and so very, very scared, George Montrose sank into his house. What I heard, right, what I was told is that is that this creep is bald, like, like a baby, bald. And his eyes, right, his eyes are like red all over. No iris, just red. It was catchy, it caught on. George Montrose looked in the mirror one day to find his hair gone and his eyes alight with the color of blood. 
no iris. They never tell it right. The truth is, his skin is white, like paper, and his teeth, and this is the real sick shit. His teeth have been filed down to points, like fangs. It was catchy. It caught on. My friend Joe has a friend named Paul, and Paul's woman is this girl who actually knows the guy who first saw it. He said that he said that she said that he said that this thing, it used to wail all the time. It was, it was just so hungry. You could hear it, like, all the time. It was catchy. It caught on. Equally diffuse were the number of stories about precisely why the house on Bleecker Street was so haunted. It was said that an escaped lunatic had climbed into the attic one night and crept from room to room, killing everyone he met one by one. It was said that a father had lost everything on a bad investment in a fickle stock market and the rage and desperation had been so all-consuming that he took a hammer to the heads of those he loved most. It was said that a priest to a dark and angry god had attempted to summon something out of the nether realm only to be bodily sucked into his own portal and regurgitated years later having become something else. George Montrose had never heard these stories, but he knew them off by heart. He chanted them as he wandered his halls. Not me, he would croak. It's not me. His insistence never lasted. There was always another story another set of new memories he could not remember having had before, but that felt as real to him as any other. His mind was like a sandcastle built and rebuilt against the surf. His only respite came when he sank into the walls and became one with the house. Then. He was all places and nowhere, all at once. He did this more and more until it came to be the state of things that he spent most every hour of every day inside the walls. He might have stayed there forever until there came intruders. They were barely yet boys come to Bleecker Street to prove that they feared no phantoms. They threw stones and broke windows. They wandered from house to house, raising their voices and spirits in defiance of the pall that hung across this corner of their dark world. The one who first wandered into the house was named Tommy Glades. 
Tommy Glades had had his first kiss only two weeks before. He had so much in his heart he wished to say, but finding the courage, finding the words, that was another thing altogether. The thing that lived in that house heard the falls of the boy's feet. It felt the thrum of his pulse. The story went that the thing that lived in Bleecker Street drank the blood of its victims. It was catchy. It caught on. Feeling the boy move inside it, the thing could at last put a name to the pervasive hunger it had been unable to quench. White as a sheet, red-eyed, the wraith of Bleecker Street pulled itself out of the wall. Tommy Glades knew no danger until hands, cold and thin but monstrously strong, settled on his shoulders. And by then, it was far too late. The thing carried him off to a dark place, and there, drank deep for the first time for the countless time more intruders came and the thing dealt with them in turn one or two beheld the haunting and fled but they made no difference or so the thing thought it gorged itself the boys came back, accompanied by men who carried flame. Fire kissed the house, spread. They dragged the thing out of its dark place. It wailed and mewled in a pitiful cry. They set on it with blades, with boot heels, with bare fists. They cut it to ribbons and burned each piece in turn until the thing was ash, nothing but ash. They didn't stop there. They touched fire to every house on Bleecker Street until at last there was only blackened bones remaining and these they kicked down into the soot and dirt. And there, it could be reasonably assumed, the matter should have ended. But stories are made of tougher stuff than wood and flesh. A thing that was no longer conceivable as having ever been a man crawled out of the ashes. The street was barren but it was still Bleecker Street. It was still its street. So what if there were no houses left standing? Some faint glimmer of what might have once been a man recalled that it appreciated quiet. It enjoyed isolation. They had tried to take this place from it 
but what was its was its, and it would never give it up. Let them come. The thing sank into the other side of the air and began to wait. And woe the traveler who found themselves alone on Bleecker Street when clouds overlapped the dark sun and darkness reigned supreme. Then they might see outlines of long ago houses faint in the dim light like etchings on paper. Then they might hear a hungry wail and see a pair of red eyes float towards them from out the dark. Maybe once there could have been rest. Maybe there had been a time when a man named George Montrose could have been saved. But Bleecker Street is haunted. Everyone knows that. Hello, and thank you for listening to another episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brent Foley, and I write, produce, and perform the show. Black Sun Dispatches is only one of many great shows offered by the Cinepunks Podcast Network, uh, so even if you didn't like this particular one, uh, which is understandable, totally get it, uh, you can listen to Cinepunks, Loud Fast Philly, Horror Business, The Mandate, or any one of the other really cool shows that we have here on the site. We also have tons of really great writing from all kinds of, of uh, contributors, uh, so there's bound to be something that you will enjoy on Cinepunks. If there's nothing, then the problem is you. Fix your life. Uh, Cinepunks is sponsored by Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. You can hit them up at xlvacx.com. Once again, that's Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations at xlvacx.com. If you would like to be a Cinepunk sponsor, we have a Patreon on our site, uh, so go ahead and hit that up and send us money. We like money. Uh, that's cool. Uh, if you like the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, that's a huge, huge help on getting the word spread out. Uh, and if you didn't like the show, you know, you can shut the fuck up. No one's going to care. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That was terrible. Uh, and if, again, if you like the show, uh, please spread the word uh, by other means. Uh, by Twitter, Facebook, uh, some for uh, however people communicate these days. Uh, get the word out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at the true Brendan F. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Black Sun Show. Uh, the show page will have all kinds of like updates and teases and hints about what's coming up uh, in the future. Uh, there's also a link on this website, on this webpage, about, uh, it'll take you to my medium page, which will have uh, the actual full script of today's episode if you want to read it. If maybe my various voices uh, do not entertain you, uh, you can just read it as a straight short story. Uh, so maybe that'll be to your preference. Black Sun Dispatch's logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers, um, a huge thanks to her, uh, and the music is Winter by E.L. Heath. Uh, so Black Sun Dispatches will be back in a couple weeks. Uh, the plan is to have the next episode released on uh, November 27th. Uh, I don't think it will be spe specifically Thanksgiving themed, uh, but who knows, there will be a mutant killer turkey loose in the city with the Black Sun. 
that would fit, I think. I may not want to write it, but it, it would fit. <laughs> so uh, tune in on November 27th to see if I just went ahead and put a Mutant Turkey episode. Uh, we'll see. Bye, guys. Thanks. Have a good one.